All right. Subject today. Impactful and eternal influence. Impactful and eternal influence. We've been talking college students, Gen Z. Let me read you something I read this morning. Generation Z is made of zombies. (laughs) New York Post. Less educated, more depressed, and without values. In a book called Hollowed Out, a warning about the coming generation and its impact on America, teacher nominee, national teacher nominee of the year, interestingly enough, is from Bakersfield, California, says high school students spend more time connected to digital devices and less time with their families, leading to a hollowing out of the current generation. Each school year... This teacher from Bakersfield, Jeremy Adams, says, I give the same lesson. I show pictures of celebrities like Kendall Jenner or Miley Cyrus to the students on a screen, and they immediately recognize all of them. And then I show them photos of policymakers in America, and they recognize none of them. He said, this ignorance is no joke. And in his book called Hollowed Out, a warning about America's next generation, he said, we need to brace ourselves for what lies ahead. I'm sounding an alarm bell. This project is born out of worry, concern, and frustration. What I see in young people today is barren of the behavior, values, and hopes from which human beings have traditionally found higher meaning or even simple contentment. They live... This generation, solitary lives, hyper-connected to technology, but unattached from their families, churches, or communities. He cites some current statistics chosen in 17, 63%. Suicide grew 56%. Suicide has become the second leading cause of death for young people. Now, reading that this morning and seeing the eyes and faces of some Generation Z members leaving high school, coming into a university setting, reminded me of how strategically valuable our influence and impact is as Christian community. I won't read you the whole article, but what he argued is one of the chief contributors to this generation and its reality is the absence of attachment in the family. Number two, the absence of attachment to a religious community, a church. What's important, undeniably, as we journey forward into the future, is not to bemoan our reality, but to recognize that despite the challenges, we possess potential influence and impact That's both eternal and real. We are not impotent. We are not without impact and influence. We can feel like we are because of the rate and rapid pace of change. But this series we're doing, and it's turned into a series. It was a devotional at the end of the semester. It became a sermon in June. It's now become a series at Cornerstone. And the reason for this is I want 
to impress and exhort and encourage. I want to challenge you to be an agent of potent influence. Because you are something, you need to be something, and the guarantee is our lives, both collectively and individually, will mean something. Listen, the world is broken, and humanity is hurting. And part of the reason we are where we are is not just the dramatic power of spiritual darkness or the depravity of humanity, but it's the absence of vibrant, potent Christianity. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. By way of review, this is a declaration that comes from the king of everything, seated in authority, Sermon on the Mount, here's how to be blessed, nine ingredients provoke blessing, and then he makes two major statements as to how your life as a kingdom citizen can be a blessing. And with a present active indicative, which is a declaration of reality, he says to the people of God, the covenant people of God in the kingdom of God, and if you're in Christ, you're in his kingdom. You're a child of the king, You represent the king of everything, and as a representative of the king of everything, you are, he says, the salt of the earth. You're a preservative. You're a powerful preservative. Salt was valuable and impactful. Valuable because it provided preservation from the corruption of things that were valuable. You're a powerful preservative. If you're the salt of the earth, you preserve goodness. You reduce corruption and rot. You inhibit decline. You are also a prompter of pleasure. You're a seasoning. Life ought to be better because you're in it. Seasoned meat is better than bland, plain meat. Seasoning is what we are in a world that may be absent hope, hollowed out. You represent the reality of a life that is real and potential in Christ for every human being because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dead in trespasses and sins, made alive, new birth, new life, the inheritor of eternal life which is not sometime later, it's the experience of the life of God today. The reason people kill themselves is because they don't believe there's hope for a kind of life worth living, and they need to see people with that life. Dead in trespasses and sins, but by the mercy and grace of God, I experience the love of God, the transformation of God. I leave the kingdom of darkness and I enter the kingdom of light. And as a Christian, I salt the earth with the seasoning of the life of God, which ought to provoke hope and provide answers and a direction for people to follow so that they can experience what we display, not just what we say. You know what else salt does? It's a provoker of thirst. Salty Christianity ought to provoke people to be interested in the water of life that we've drank 
and we've had a drink of. That's what we are. We are preservatives, prompters of pleasure, provokers of thirst. We are to be a picture of purity, a calibrator in our culture. Salt was white in the sun. The Romans and the Greeks said it was the purest all things because it came from the sea and it came from the gods. Salt, you are powerfully influential. Because you are that, you need to live that in a way that impacts the world and the earth and those who are in it so that they can experience the life you know, the joy you possess, and the benefit of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth that not only saves but gives direction for a life that's worth living. Listen, the culture needs salty Christians. The other passage we looked at is Luke chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, where Jesus said, salt is good. It's interesting, two words for good. Agathos, which means practically good, beneficial. Like a snow shovel on a snow-filled driveway, snow shovels are practically good. Agathos. Like a good meal that I need to eat, good. Agathos. He uses the word kalos, which has the import, the nuance, the force of not only something beneficial, but something noble, something inspiring, something that bears witness to something higher and greater. Salt is good and noble, unless for nothing. Matthew 5, except to be tossed out. Luke chapter 14, it's not even good for the soil or the manure pile. Soil as an ingredient to promote growth. The manure pile, a space and place where salt was placed in order to prevent bacteria, germs, corruption, disease, sickness, and illness. Salt is to promote growth and it's to prevent death. Salt is to promote righteousness, and it's to inhibit unrighteousness. What does it take to be a difference maker, an impactful and eternal influence, whether it's Gen Z, your neighbors, your family, and your friends? We were unpacking key criteria and essential ingredients for kingdom impact and cultural influence, and I believe it begins with a confident and compelling conviction that I am something as a Christian. And if I behave as salt ought to behave in a culture like ours as a Christian, like I am, the guarantee of that is my life will mean something. I think if you're going to be a potent and powerful influence, you need to be convinced that to be a blessing as a kingdom citizen I am something, therefore I need to be something, and the guarantee is my life will mean something. Whether you work at Disney or the Masters University, where you line up in a hospital or a a police station here in the community, whether you're a student, a coach, whatever your vocational 
location and station may be, you do not go to work without the recognition that my very presence here has the potential to provoke a thirst for God, to prompt pleasure that people will experience a life that they don't possess. And I have the power by my presence and influence to preserve from unrighteousness and to promote and model righteousness. And that ought to encourage you. Because that's a fact. Not on my authority, but on the declarative authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of the Kingdom. Two ingredients necessary for this is proximity. You need to be proactively engaged in whatever salt is seeking to influence. It's not good for the soil or the manure pile. You got to be in it or you got to be on it. You have to be investing your life in a way proactively engaged so that your influence comes to bear on those who need that influence. Paul said, I prove to be like a nursing mother among you. The reason I was impactful, the reason the Thessalonian church looked so fruitful, such that Paul said, I have no need to say anything to you. You're imitators of Christ. You're imitators of me. Your testimony is going out through the whole world. You're transformed worshipers. You're noble practitioners. How did that happen? It happened because of my life-on-life relationship with you. It pleased me. It delighted me to not only impart the gospel, but my own life as well. I was among you. I was in meso. I was in your space. Listen, if you're a parent and you want to promote righteousness, you need to be engaged with your children. Children today are disengaged. They're unattached. Ten years ago, what's your favorite way of engaging someone in conversation? Nearly 60% 60 of the time, a child or a young person would say, in person. Now it's technological. 30% of the time, I'd like to talk to you. Otherwise, I'm connected in some way that's not face-to-face, no matter what they call FaceTime, as we heard talked about last night. FaceTime is in my space time. You need, if you're going to be salty in the life of those you seek to influence, promoting righteousness, you need to be involved proactively and intentionally. I tell my student leaders, not intrusively, but intentionally proactively, in their world, interested in their reality, engaged in them purposefully or in their life and activities purposefully. You are in proximity. You're valuable to the world and Christ's kingdom if you are in proximity. And then the verse I shared with you, which I continue to find benefit from, is Proverbs 21, 12. The righteous one considers the house of the wicked, turning it to ruin which is not only do you engage for the purposes of promoting growth, you engage for the purposes of inhibiting their capacity to pursue things that are destructive, both for them and those with whom they have to do. You consider the place where law-breaking, people-corrupting occurs, and you ruin it. 
And you ruin it because you speak the truth to them, you live the truth in front of them, you engage with them personally and practically, which requires the next ingredient, courage. By the way, before I go to the next ingredient, because it's actually the third ingredient, let me talk about the next ingredient. Salt is good. Luke 14, 34. There's a connecting word, therefore, that ties it to what Jesus talked about, which was potent discipleship. Proximity is critical. Potency is equally critical. Potency has to do with the high concentrate capacity of salt. It's the opposite of tasteless. It's so potent that a pinch will do you. Potent Christianity is high concentrate, Christ-centric discipleship. Because the context of Luke 14 is about discipleship. Christ over it all. Christ first. Christ over my family. Christ over people. Christ over possessions. Christ over my passions. Christ first. I prioritize and pick Christ over people, possessions, and my passions. You want to be potent as a Christian, and there's no way to not be connected to, submitted to the lordship and the priority of Jesus Christ. Proximity, you can be in the game, you can be in relationship, but unless Christ is Lord over you and a priority over everything in Turn over to Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to pick up there. That was a, meant to be a high-speed review. And I was arguing for number two, but this is actually number three. What is the third ingredient? First one is a compelling conviction. The second one is Christ over you, priority. And then the third one is an unshakable confidence in God's presence with you. Now, here's the parallel connecting thought. We're in the book of Joshua. Why are we talking about salt, influence, impact from the book of Joshua? Here's the reason why. The context for the book of Joshua is the people of God entering into a land of abundance, But the purpose of that entering into the land was not simply for abundant living. Listen to me. It was for impactful influencing. Israel was an instrument to destroy unrighteousness. Ask Jericho how that felt. The cities of unholy pagan practices. Now, I'm not arguing for marching around town and blowing trumpets and waiting for the walls to fall down. What I'm arguing for is the people of God going into the land, overthrowing unrighteousness and its impact to that land upon which or in which they were moving. It wasn't just cities built that they could inhabit. It wasn't just vineyards they could enjoy that they didn't plant. It wasn't just land flowing with milk and honey. Canaan is a type, a symbol 
of abundant living and the means to it. And Canaan is also a symbol of the challenges and the activity of the people of God to both tear down and overthrow contributing unrighteousness, sources of it, and the promotion of righteousness. Let me give you uh, Exodus chapter 19. Listen to the words as it relates to the people of God from the mouth of the man of God, Moses. This is Moses on Mount Sinai to the people of God. He says to them, say to the house, this is verse 3, say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. Verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That's the Exodus. Now then, verse 5, Exodus 19. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, listen to this, then... You shall be, if you're righteous, you honor me as Lord over all, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. You'll be my possession. I'll be your God, you'll be my people. I will be among you, and I will display my glory not only to you, but through you. Verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Listen, a priest is twofold. A priest is a worshiper, and a priest is a connector. They are a representative to God, from people who need God, and a representative from God to people who need God. Priests are worshipers and connectors. God says, you will be my habitation. What I've done for you will be on vivid display to the nations. Walter Kaiser says the people of Israel were a light to the pagan world. They were an instrument of influence. God intended that they would actively represent him to the nations. Israel was a missionary community. All of those feast days were not just for the glory of God. They were a testimony to the work and the person and the grace of God. Look at Psalm 67. You'll feel it again. This whole idea of Israel being a representative influence, an instrument of impact and influence. Psalm 67, the psalmist says, God be gracious to us and bless us, verse 1, and cause his face to shine upon us. Watch the reason why, verse 2, that your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among all the nations. God, bless us so that the testimony of our life will influence the people around us. It'll promote righteousness. It'll promote interest in the ways of God and the things of God. Verse 6, the earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. Verse 7, God blesses us, look at the purpose clause, that all of the ends of the earth may fear him. 
The reason we're in Joshua, because it's a parallel idea. Being the soul to the earth not only promotes righteousness, but it enables us to prevent unrighteousness by the mandates of God through the man of God in the book of Joshua. So go back to Joshua chapter 1. And the very first idea for being a potent, high-concentrate, powerful influencer to the world of humanity that desperately needs your influence is not only Christ over you, but unshakable confidence in God's presence with you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. And then this next thought, being careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have success. What kind of success? Abundant living and impactful influencing. The promoting of righteousness and the impacting of unrighteousness. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed. Why? There's giants in the land. There's double-walled cities. There's enemies, hostility, danger in the land. Be strong. Don't Don't tremble. Don't be afraid. I am with you, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the third idea that I argued for is potent salt-of-the-earth Christians are absolutely convinced, unshakably convinced, that I'm not alone in this. The promoting of righteousness, the addressing of unrighteousness. God is with me. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, Hebrews says. What can men do to me? Listen, there's no saltiness in Christians that are fighting for things that matter or promoting things that are critical and eternal if they aren't courageous Christians. You're going to have conversations that are not easily had, graciously but boldly. The fourth thing that I wanted to promote as a means of potency, and I invited you a couple of weeks ago And I so enjoyed Tim Cantrell last week face-to-face and the exhortation that he brought to us from South Africa. But the week before, I challenged you to spend time in Psalm 1 and in Job 28. The reason being is because of what else God said to Joshua as a means of encouragement. Here is a critical ingredient. Number one, you got to know that you know that I'm with you. You need to be very strong. You need to be very courageous, and as verse 7 says, you need to be careful to do according to all that is written in the law of Moses. 
Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have success. Abundant living is the consequence of courageous living and meditating on the Word of God and obedient living. Here's my fourth idea. Potent Christians not only are confident in God's presence with them, the Word of God is in you and it's lived out by you. The Word of God is in you and lived out by you. Psalm 1. Your delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the means of blessing. How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of worldly influence. They don't stand with them. They don't sit with them. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the law of the Lord, the word of God, the will of God, the revelation of God, the truth of God, they meditate in it day and night. Therefore, they're like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Their their leaf does not wither. They bear fruit in their season. And what's the kicker at the end? And whatever they do, they what? They prosper. Well, this is not Joel Osteen prosperity. (laughs) This is not about health, wealth, prosperity. This is about purposeful, productive, spiritual prosperity. This is about the Aramaic root means you press through. Informed by the word of God and the priorities of God, which is the mission of God, to curb unrighteousness, to promote righteousness, to enjoy abundant living and impactful influencing. That's the purpose of God, informed by the word of God. And if you meditate on that word, when? Day and night. You will not only be firmly planted, you'll be fruitful and, listen to me, successful. That's what he said. Meditation is not memorization. Meditation includes memorization, but it's reflection. It's rumination. It's chewing on it. I've said this to you before, rumination is what some animals do. They munch and swallow, then they cough it up and chew on it. It's not what you think about before lunch, but it's worthy thinking about this morning. You take the Word of God in and you chew on it. And it's a day and night chewing. The first chamber of a four-chambered stomach, you cough it up, the raw material. I memorized it. I'm coughing it up mentally. I'm chewing on it. I'm extracting benefit from it. The words matter. And I'm meditating on those words to the end that I can apply what I'm learning. Because meditation that's not lived out is defective. The goal is not knowing more. The goal is knowing and living Potent Christians, salty Christians, are saturated with the Word of God. Their delight is in it. Hey, Joshua, you want to have good success? 
You take this book, my summary directions, my will, my wishes, my way, my directions, my prescriptions. You take that and you meditate on it. And you observe, which is an intentional desire and design to apply it. Listen, you want to be potent? You better put the Bible in your head and in your heart, and it needs to display itself in your life. We're in a world of Christianity that is unwilling to do the work necessary to mine the treasure that's required for salty Christian influence. Listen, we all love and enjoy our pastor. We'll enjoy and will be challenged by what is preached today. But it's not enough. That's not a sacrilegious statement. It's not enough. It's essential. It's critical. But it's not sufficient. What is sufficient is daily, day and night, ruminating on the words of God so you can be successful and productive in the ways God desires. You can find your way, but it's necessary that you have a way to ruminate on the word of God. You need a plan. You need a schedule. Turn over with me to Job chapter 28 and let me make my final installment on this thought and I'm going to expand it a little bit from the Word of God in you and lived out by you, meditation and application, fruitful, productive activity for the purposes of God, enjoying the life of God, promoting the righteousness of God, inhibiting the unrighteousness that corrupts and injures men is all the byproduct of the Word in you lived out by you. But the fourth, or fifth rather, ingredient to potent, salty, influential impact is not only God's word in you and lived out by you, but God's wisdom flowing through you, which is a derivative of the word of God. Buy the truth, don't sell it. Get wisdom, instruction, and understanding as the product of getting the truth. If you don't have the truth, you don't have the essential ingredients to be wise. The truth is not wisdom. The truth is essential and foundational for wisdom. You can know the truth, but not know how to apply the truth. Turn over to Job chapter 28, if you haven't already, which is the other place I ask you to spend time in. Now, you need to understand that contextually, Job is about dealing with difficulty and wrestling with a harsh reality. Tucked in the very center of this book is perspective from heaven about the essential ingredients necessary to navigate difficulty. Job 28 is about valuing something essential. His friends who have been coaching him don't have it. He doesn't have enough of it. And Job 28 is a reflection, a meditation on the essential ingredient to deal with life's difficulties as you wrestle with life's realities. 
I can be a Christian. I can be a righteous man. God can brag about the quality and the character of my life, and I can still endure great difficulty, which challenges my faith and my perspectives. And, and it can invite people into my life offering perspective that's not remotely helpful to me. So what is it that you need? Perspective. What is it that you need? Perspective that God gives that friends aren't so good at giving. Job 28. Listen to Job talk. Let's mine some treasure out of this passage, and we're going to meditate a little bit through it in the last part of our time together this morning. Surely, he says, there's a mine for silver, and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust, and from rock, copper is smelted. So he begins talking about valuable metals, substances of value and benefit, Verse 3, man puts an end to darkness, and to the farthest limit he searches out. The rock in gloom and deep shadow, he sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro, far from men. Now look up for a minute. Man knows where precious metals are to be found. And he relentlessly and creatively and courageously does what it takes to get it. He digs for it. He puts a shaft in the ground. He hangs from ropes. He risks his life. Verse 5, the earth, from it comes food and underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the sources of sapphires. Its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. In other words, the animal kingdom doesn't know where this treasure is, but I'll tell you what man's done. He's discovered it, and he's decided to get it. He's made up his mind, I'll do what it takes. I'll overcome every obstacle. I'll risk life and limb. I'll go into the darkness. I'll figure it out because I know where the good stuff is. The natural world doesn't know, but I know. Verse 9, he puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the base. He hews out channels through the rocks, and his eyes seize everything precious. Relentlessly, creatively, he recognizes it recognizes it and he does what it takes to get it. He dams up the streams from flowing and what is hidden he brings out to the light. So this is a reflection of Job on what men do when they recognize value. Precious value. But look at verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding Look at verse 13. Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says it's not in me, and the sea says it's not with me. They don't know its value, and nothing in the natural world knows where to find it. 
Verse 15, pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it. Silver can, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx, or sapphire, gold, or glass. Cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. All right. Man knows where precious metals lie, but he does not know where wisdom comes from. Man is willing to do what it takes because of the value of precious metals and stones, but he doesn't know the value of what is infinitely more valuable. What Job needs in life is not more money. Gold can't buy him what he needs to navigate this difficulty. His friends can't show up and buy his way from his difficulty into a place of peace and plenty. Man is willing to do whatever it takes to get what he values, but he doesn't value what is valuable. Wisdom is more valuable than any asset you can secure. Why? Because it is the only thing that will allow you to navigate life, live life in the throes of difficulty to the end that you can enjoy God's direction, His bounty, His blessing, despite your difficulty. Where is wisdom found? Where then does it come from? Where is the place of understanding? Well, it's hidden from the eyes of all the living, concealed from the birds of the sky. Hell and death say, with our ears, we've heard a report of it. In other words, nowhere in creation can you find it. Verse 23, God understands its way. God has wisdom. He knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. God has it. Here's what he has. Perspective. Wisdom, hokmo, sometimes you hear it often said skilled living. It is skilled living. But the reason it's skilled living is because it's informed by perspective. Skilled Wisdom is more than knowing what to do. It's knowing why you need to do it. It's God's view from above, which informs your direction and your action. Wisdom is perspective from heaven. It's not the whole picture. Job never got that. Wisdom was the essential perspective from a God who has it, perspective on it, that he is willing to give to those who are willing to work hard to dig for it. Why? Because they value it. They're willing to do the work to get it. All of creation reveals that God has it. Verse 25, when he, God, imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Creation is just displaying God has wisdom. He's skilled at what he does. He knows exactly what needs to be done. He's affecting that. He possesses it. And man needs it, and God alone has it. 
Verse 27, God saw and declared it. He established it and searched it out. What? Wisdom. Now, I want you to look at verse 28. Because this is the key to it. You want perspective from heaven? You need to value perspective from heaven more than you value assets material. You need to be relentless and creative like miners are relentless and creative. You need to be courageous and intentional to dig wherever you need to dig to overcome any obstacle, to do the work that you need to do in order to secure the perspective of God which comes from the words of God which is able to direct you in the difficulties and the challenges of life. Not just yours, but those with whom you have to do. And here's the key to it. Verse 28. And to man he said... Now it's interesting. And to man he said, which means it's explicit... And direct to man, God said, Behold. Now, the word behold is put there as to get their attention. Behold, listen to me. It's like a searchlight or a neon blinking sign. Get this. Be like if I clap my hands, I get your attention. Behold, listen to me. God says to man, inspired Job says, What I need. I can only get from God. And what God says to men who might value what creation can't provide that he alone possesses, what silver and gold cannot secure, to man God has said, Harry, listen to me. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord Respect for me, honoring my high station, submitting to my sovereign rule, bowing your knee, recognizing who I am, high regard, submission to my station, my authority, my activity, honoring and obeying because you understand who I am and who you are. I am a God who rules. And wisdom begins with the recognition that I am over it all. I control it all. You respect that position and you bow your knee to that reality. I don't like the illness I have. I don't like the challenges I have. I don't like the loss of life among those that matter to me. Remember, he lost all of his children. He lost his health. He lost all of his stuff. And God says, Job, what you need and what every man needs who would be a friend of a man in need is they need to start with the recognition that I rule and I have a right to rule. And you regard my high station and you submit in humble submission. You get it and you want to bow to it. That's wisdom. And now listen to the second part. And to depart from evil is understanding. Now guess what Job needed? Understanding. He needed to know which way to go and the next step to take. Job, turn away from anything corrupting. The word evil is sinful. It's the Hebrew word which means painful. 
Sin is painful. Wickedness is injurious. Disobedience is hurtful. If you're going to enjoy priceless and rare perspective and skill at navigating your reality, you need to fear me. And you need to turn away from the things that dishonor me and bring injury and pain to you and those with whom you have to do. To man, God has said, behold, pay attention to this. Respect, regard, and submit and turn away from the things that damage and destroy and dishonor. They dishonor me and they damage and injure you and those with whom you have to do. Wisdom is what you need. And wisdom is what the world around you needs when they're wrestling with their reality and dealing with their difficulty. You know what potent Christians are? They are people who know what to say and when to say it. They're not the answer to everything. Nobody had perspective with regard to Job's ultimate reality. But what Job needed was perspective, which was, Job, submit to the rule of God and trust the God who is organizing and authoritative over it all, sovereignly and providentially, rest in his rule, submit to his wish and his way, honor him, and turn away from the thoughts and the actions that dishonor him. Salty Christians have the wisdom of God flowing through them. Because they meditate on the Word of God, they live out the Word of God, and the wisdom of God flows through them because they fear Him and they're sanctified before Him. And you know what the world needs? You in it with the wisdom of God flowing from you because of it. Listen, you need this, but I'll tell you who else needs it. Somebody you love and know. They need somebody to offer perspective that they otherwise wouldn't have. And the only people who have it are the people who are willing to work hard to dig for it, which is the connection to meditation. Meditation is digging. It's mining treasure. Proverbs 2, wisdom comes from God, verse 6. How do you get it? You dig for it like hidden treasure. If somebody told you, somebody put real treasure in your backyard, you probably would skip church to go dig for it. (laughs) Because you believed whatever it takes to get whatever they believe is valuable. This is more valuable than that. Relentlessly, creatively, and courageously dig for it. You know the Olympics, we just saw it. One of the most decorated swimmers is a distance swimmer, a female by the name of Katie Ledecky. Katie won the 800 meters in several races of distance. She is, they call her the GOAT, the greatest of all time as a female swimmer. During her competitions, one of the commentators did a little study on what it took for her to get where she got. 
And they computed and calculated that for Katie Ledecky to do what she did as a distance swimmer, she had, over her training life, swam 21,000 miles. Tokyo to New York City is how far she swam to win a medal. Men are willing to do what it takes to get a medal. A woman was willing to work really hard to win a medal. I want to challenge you to work really hard to get what's more valuable than the medal. Because wisdom doesn't just come. You dig for it. And it begins with a fear of God who gives it. And a sanctifying holy life as you turn from the things that dishonor him and injure others, including yourself. The wisdom of God flowing through you is critical to your life having, imp- having potency and impact. Can you say amen to that? All right, now I know most of you are not going to meditate. I tell my seminary class, I'm going to tell you something nobody's going to do but two of you. Most of you will not do what we just talked about. I have no earthly idea why, except it's work. And if you value what you need and don't have, and if you value what they need and you could have, you'll dig. You'll go in a shaft. You'll level a mountain. You'll get up early and you'll stay up late. You'll memorize it and extract benefit from it. And you'll be a potent ally to the world that desperately needs direction that they do not have. But most of you won't do that. But I hope you do. And that's meant as a reverse psychology challenge. (laughs) All right? Father, thank you for the morning. Lord, we are not without capacity to make a difference. Whether it's Gen Z the millennials. Lord, whether it's the boomers or the greatest generation, we can be difference makers. And whether it's at Disney or the hospital we work in or the school we attend or the club team we play on, whether it's the neighborhood we live in, Lord, we can be absolutely essential to promote a life that's truly life. We can display it. We can promote thirst for it. We can demonstrate there's a life that's better. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would have the word of God in us, lived out by us, with wisdom flowing from people who respect God and honor God and are willing to work in order to secure treasure that we need and others need through our life. So grant us grace to that end. And I ask it for us all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.